right, so I, I do, Dad, happy Father's Day, seriously. Um, you know, how about this? I, I just read this the other day, that today is still the leading day for the most, get this, collect calls. Now, that was a thing 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and, and certainly beyond that. Uh, moms, you get the honor of having the day with the most calls are actually made. Dads, you still get called. However, as Terry alluded to, you have to pay for it. And so I'm going to try. My parents still have a landline. I'm going to, I'm going to try today just, just, to see, just to see what happens. All right? So, so happy Father's Day, guys, to you. You think they'll accept the charge? Probably not. Probably not. Um, i got a funny story about my nana that, that I'll tell some other time about that. Uh, hey, the other day, Amanda and I were, were in the grocery store together, and it's kind of one of those things that we, we kind of divide and conquer uh, this particular day. And she went one way for some stuff, and I went the other way for some other things. And, and maybe if you've gone to the grocery store enough, I know many of you guys, y'all get your stuff delivered, and we just we don't live that lifestyle just yet. Um, so we go, and we actually have to pick our apples out and that kind of stuff. And so we go, and maybe you've been there, where you're walking down the aisle, and you meet somebody that was just on the other aisle. And, and, and this happens, like, every, every aisle, you just keep meeting the same person. Well, I had one of these moments, and, and it, was, it happened to me three, three aisles in a row. And so there was this, this father, I thought, and, and this young man, two, three, uh, sitting in the little thing, had a little... Uh, a cookie, because I mean, Publix gives free cookies, if you didn't know that, and uh, not just to kids, they'll give to adults too. Uh, he had a cookie, and he had a toy, and he had a phone, or some kind of device, and he was sitting there, and, and, and the son was causing some commotion. He, he, was, he, was, he, was, a, he was rambunctious, let's be real, all right? And, and he was doing what every kid in America does when they go to the grocery store. They ask for stuff. Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And so, like, there's stuff going on in this shopping cart between, you know, what I thought was son and dad. And, and I heard the dad say, now, Billy, it's not going to take long. We're almost done. So I'm walking this way, and they're coming this way, and we go to the next aisle. And I hear the dad say again as the child is whining over something, now, Billy, just calm down. We'll be out of here soon. And then the third aisle, same story. Billy, settle down. We're almost done. So last week, we talked about gentleness. And, and I, I told you guys, I admire people who are gentle. And so, so I saw this kind of taking place three, three, three aisles in a row. And I thought, you know what? I, I, need to, I need to say something. And so I just saw the guy on the next aisle. And I said, hey, I just want you to know that... Um, Man, I, I commend you for your patience uh, because, man, I've been there. I know what it's like to have, have little ones, and uh, you're doing a great job showing patience with this one. To which the dad looks at me and says, Sir, I don't think you understand. I'm Billy. This is my nephew, and I want to, I'll say the word spank, okay? I want to tear him a new one because he's acting like a spoiled <laughs> I said, well, great job showing some self-control right here in the grocery store in front of everybody, right? Because, now, you know what? Every, every, every kid needs a good uncle to come along and, and beat them when they need it and spoil them, you know, when, when they need that too. 
But here's the thing when it comes to self-control, everyone needs to learn self-control in some area of life. Or, or if you're like me, maybe you have multiple areas of life that you need to learn some self-control. Uh, you know, just, I'm not stepping on toes here. I'm just going to throw these out there. If it applies, it applies. I'm not aiming this at anyone, but maybe, maybe at the dinner table. You know, some self-control might be needed. Uh, Amanda and I, you know, we tried to do a little bit better, and she's doing a whole lot better than I'm doing right now. And uh, just, you know, last night we go out to eat dinner, and uh, she was working, so I drove and met her. And uh, we, we went to Bank Street Grill, got a sensible little meal, we shared an entree, drank the water, laid off the bread, the whole nine yards, went to Lowe's, we, we ordered some stuff for our house, went and picked that stuff up, and we're headed home. And, you know... It, I mean, it's like that Dollar General just sucked me into the parking lot. And I don't even like Dollar General, but I knew that the Dollar General had small packs of Oreos and my house had no packs of Oreos. And so I justified this move by I didn't buy the big pack of Oreos. I only bought the, the, the little pack of Oreos. And I got some other butter uh, Maybe... <laughs> Maybe self-control is needed when it comes to your electronics, your, your devices, your TV watching, your, your social media stuff. Uh, maybe it's your work schedule. You know, maybe you're just, man, I would rather be at work with those people than home with those people. And so I'm just addicted to not being at home with those people. And so I work, 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 work so I can do that. But maybe, maybe there's some self-control that's needed there. Maybe Amazon.com. Is where, you know, I, I'm not even looking up on this one. Uh, maybe Amazon.com is a place that some self-control is needed. Focus right here. Maybe it's watching your favorite sporting event. Amanda reminded me, in lieu of Father's Day, of the first football game that I watched as a father. And it was a few days deep. A-Y-S, days after Griffin was born. He's born November 8th, which means that is the Auburn-Georgia game, longest rivalry in the South. Auburn got beat, and Griffin almost got thrown. <laughs> like, she's literally, yeah, spiked. She's literally yelling at me from across the room not to throw the baby on the ground. Maybe some of you need some self-control supporting this. Maybe some of you need self-control when it comes to overthinking things. The list could go on and on. The point is, we all have areas of life where self-control is needed or it can be improved upon. Uh, the wisest man outside of Jesus to walk the earth said this in Proverbs 25, 46. He said, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, when he wrote this, walls were everything to a city. It was the main form of protection. All right? I mean, just read Nehemiah. All right? I mean, we, we've got, a, we've got a, a, whole, a whole book in the Bible that speaks to the need for walls fortifying a city. Now, I get the, all the, the metaphors there within, but hey, if, if, if the walls fall, the inhabitants are taken into custody. This metaphor speaks directly to our life today. A lot of times, 
our areas of life where we lack self-control, they're blind spots. Or they are lies that we tell ourselves enough to believe it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal to get a six-pack of Oreos versus the full-pack of Oreos. We justify our actions to the point where we start to believe these things are true. There's some science here that we're going to get into on the next sermon on self-control. It's November 6th. Um, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating because when I was studying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this article was written directly to Michael's, Michael's office. So today, let's get into, let's get into self-control. Uh, what is self-control? Well, there's a blanket definition in the English that Ted Cunningham uses, and, and it's spot on. I, I like this definition. Uh, I don't encourage you to write it down for today's sermon, but, but no, it's a good definition. Self-control is the discipline of delaying impulse or gratification for a greater purpose or cause. When we exercise self-control, we are saying no for the sake of a bigger and better yes. We are trading something in the here and the now for something greater in the future. And again, that is a, that's a good definition, and it does work kind of sort of towards where we're going today. However, the Bible, you know the Bible, the, the Greek language, the Hebrew language, the, the, the words are a little more specific sometimes when it comes to the use of, of, of certain words. And so we kind of crafted this sermon several several uh, months ago, well, back in October. We kind of had this out, and we're going through the fruits of the Spirit, we get to self-control, and we're like, hey, let's use 2 Timothy 1.7 as another verse to go along with with uh, what we're talking about in Galatians chapter 5. And, and 2 Timothy 1 7 says, uh, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. And, and so we were just going to lump this in with our study of through the Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the spirit. But when I got into studying, I realized. This self-control and that self-control, they're not the same self-control. They actually have two different meanings, both good and both beneficial. This self-control in 2 Timothy 1.7 is the, the causing of someone to become wise, or, or literally, it's being wise-headed. I mean, that's the literal, that's, that's the literal definition in the Greek, being wise wise-headed. Not a wise guy. That's different. Being wise-headed. So think of, think of it as being able to make sound decisions under pressure of temptation. That's what this self-control right here means. Right? And, and, and there's overlay. Understand this. I want because temptation is going to come up a lot with the other one as well. But it's being able to make sound decisions under the pressure of temptation. Think about the story of Esau and Jacob. We can't get into all that today. We'll probably do that in November. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, his younger brother, for what? Bean soup. So, Abraham, Isaac, next generation, Esau and Jacob. And, and, and the way the way the order 
goes, the firstborn son, and I don't know why it's this way, being a firstborn son, I'm all about let's live it though. The firstborn son gets two-thirds of the inheritance, right? He gets the birthright. And then when dad passes away, he then steps up and he gets to become the alpha, okay? That, like, that, like that's, that's what's at, at stake here. And Esau traded this birthright for some soup. Now, he was hungry. But, I mean, he had just been out hunting. I mean, I mean go take a bite of the you know, red stag you just ate or something. In that moment, he needed this self-control, the ability to make a wise decision under the pressure of temptation. And it cost him big time. Then we have the use of self-control found in Galatians chapter 5. So let's read that together. Galatians 5, 22 through 25 is coming up. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, here's what self-control means here. It means... Controlling one's sensual or fleshly desires. Right? Now I get it. There, there's some overlay here, but, but they, they are different. Okay, Controlling one's sensual or fleshly desires. The other use of the word self-control is my willpower helping me to do this. This use of, the self, of, of self-control is all about what the Spirit is producing in my life. So self-control, the use of, I'm sorry, uh, controlling one's fleshly desires. So what are the fleshly desires? I'm glad you asked, because it's all it's written on your face. Look at verse 6. I'm sorry, 16. Look at verse 16 of Galatians 5. Right before the fruit of the Spirit, Paul has this to say. I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Alright, so Paul's writing this big long letter, and he's just being straightforward with the church of Galatia, and he gives us the fruit of the Spirit, and he says, you're gonna, the fruit, when you surrender your life, it's going to produce this fruit in you, to guard you against these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, right? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty wicked list if you think about it. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty sinister. And, and, and you might be reading this as I read this as a checklist of things that I might have done somewhere along the way and hopefully things that I don't think I've done. And, and the truth is, 
you've given in to most of these fleshly desires. And, and you're right. I don't know, Michael. I mean, you know, maybe some of them. I mean, we read the list and we pick out the ones that don't seem too bad, right? Jealousy. I mean, yeah, back in eighth grade, I was a little jealous. Scott Hughes had a member's own jacket, and I didn't. You know, I mean, we, we say things like, like that. That's two, that's two comments on how old I am right there, right? Collect calls and members on the jackets. Kids ask your parents about it. They were a big deal. That and short jeans. I didn't have those. But sorcery? Never. I mean, I don't practice sorcery. How many of you here practice sorcery? I just want to show your hands. Anybody? I guarantee most of you do. You know what the Greek word for sorcery is? Pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy. You triple facts people, tell me. Tell me you haven't practiced sorcery. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It, it is the mixture of potions and it does get into that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm just kidding. You can ask my wife. I, I had a migraine headache for like 16 hours all because I wouldn't take medicine. I, I'm just not a medicine person unless it's necessary and all that kind of stuff. I don't even get the flu shot. But we, we, we relate to these a little bit more than we probably think. I promise this. When we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Church, when we surrender to Him in our lives, He promises us the Holy Spirit that will produce in us fruit. Spirit helps us to control the dire desires of the flesh. Willpower in this list will only get you so far. But complete control over the temptations of this world will only happen when we live by the Spirit. That's what the entire theme of Galatians chapter 5 is all about. Here's this list of stuff that is a trap that we are prone to fall into. And how do we do it? By, by, by surrendering our lives completely. And as I said it last week, it can't be situational surrender. That's not, you know, that's not surrender. And here's the other thing about the Spirit. This is going to blow your mind. But the Spirit, okay, which helps you overcome these things, also leads you into the temptation of some of these things. The Spirit allows you and I to be tempted. Matthew chapter 4 is our main text for the rest of the day. We're going to walk through this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We know what happened in Matthew chapter 3. He went to the Jordan River, saw John. They had the whole exchange of, I'm not worthy of doing this. You're going to do this. He baptized them. He came up out of the water. Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. He's still dripping wet. And what's the Holy Spirit do? Takes him into the wilderness. Alright? And what does it say? To be tempted by the devil. Like the Holy Spirit, you know, who is part of the Trinity along with God the Father and God the Son, leads one-third of the nature of who God is the Son, into a place of being tempted. So why do you think He also won't do this with us? 
Now, I'm not saying that every temptation you face is the Spirit leading you there. Okay? Sometimes, church, you just you make stupid decisions. I, 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 I've got stupid decisions in my life where I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. A.K.A. the lack of the other use of the word self-control. Poor decision-making. <clears throat> and I put myself in these places to be tempted, and I gave in to the temptation. But there are times where the Holy Spirit is going to lead you along the paths of life, and he's going to allow you to be tested. Because we have to be tested for the development of our faith. I mean, that's, that's just the way it works. We use this in our education system. We give you some information. We then test you on the information to see if you're capable of handling more information in which that information was critical. And so this, this is how developing your faith works. You're given information. Am I now going to live that out? And the Holy Spirit comes along and it tests you. Verse 2. After 40 days and 40 nights, after fasting... 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. Well, no kidding. Right? You better believe he, he was hungry. I'm hungry after 40 minutes. I cooked myself breakfast, and well, that's a lack of self-control. There were donuts here. And it said, you deserve a donut. But 40 days go by, 40 nights go by, and he was hungry. Psychologists have determined the moments in our lives when we have the least amount of self-control. You want to know when they are? You know when they are. Tired, when you're stressed, when you're lonely, and when you're hungry. Those four moments in life are where we struggle with self control the most. And I'm reading that list, and I'm thinking that Jesus is out in the wilderness by himself. He's not been with or encountered anybody to our knowledge for 40 days. He hasn't eaten anything in 40 days, he's been sleeping outside on the ground for 40 days. And, and I know that, you know, Ed and you guys have done some hiking, you can probably attest to some of the comfort creatures that are now available on trails, but I'm telling you, I, I don't think blow-up mattresses or, you know, hammocks were part of the equation. I, I, I think that Jesus was out there in the wilderness. His body was probably stressed, but he, I believe, was definitely tired, lonely, and hungry. <coughs> Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written. And that again. Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to 
Now, we don't have time to, to break all these temptations down. But in the moment of weakness, Jesus is being tempted. And I don't think for one minute that it was some cushy, playful effort by the tempter. I believe that he is laying it on thick and he is doing everything he can to get Jesus to just give in to, to, to one of these things. Like just, just one. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's, is it really a big deal that you're Jesus and you have the ability that you can just turn those, those stones into some bread? Because I'm telling you right now, I, if we had that ability in our household, we'd certainly do it. Is it that big a deal? Yeah, it's that big a deal. And Satan just wants him to get him on one thing. One thing. You know what the two words that are always associated with a lack of self-control? You do know. It's more and now. When there's a lack of self-control in our lives, give me more and give it to me now. I want more and I want it now. And so Satan is good with you giving in to just one of these things because he knows human nature. He knows the flesh. He knows that if you just have a small sampling, a small taste of it, you're going to want more. And you'll want it now. So how did Jesus fight temptation? You've heard sermons on this before. It's no surprise. We know the answer. With his knowledge of Scripture. When willpower, I'm sure willpower played a part. But when it came down to it, and the devil is standing before him, and there is the temptation of whatever it is, Jesus didn't clench his fist and go, don't give in, don't give in. He met the temptation head on with Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm telling you right now, if you got your Bibles, man, you, you need to highlight that. You need to underline that. Every word. We're not to live by, by the physical foods of this world. What are we to live by? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every time that Jesus is tempted here, you know what he does? He quotes the Bible. Every time after this that Jesus is concerned is cornered by the Pharisees, you know what he does? He quotes the Bible. I know, I know we're, it's his words we're reading. Every time someone asks him a question, he quotes the Bible. Why? Because he is the Bible. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh. It's all kind of intertwined and works together. But every time that Jesus was put on the spot, Scripture is flowing from his mouth. Every time there's, there's, there's a, a, an opportunity to be tripped up, a trap waiting on him, Scripture. Because you do not live by the physical food alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus shows us our best method for fighting temptation. It's consuming, like a, we consume a meal the Word of God. But you guys know this already. I mean, you've been around church long enough now. The Word of God is, is the thing that is, is, is going to change your life. You couple that with prayer, some other spiritual disciplines, look out. 
And for most of you, when I say that how do we best fight temptation, it's, it's not new news. But here's the thing. You and I are human. There's a whole lot of flesh right here. We make decisions daily on what we will allow to influence us. Again, self-control. Listen to Paul's struggle. And, and see if you can relate to this. Just follow along. This is Romans chapter 7. I'm like, thank you, Paul. Thank you for putting this in here. This, this is for me. Romans chapter 7. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I mean, this, this is my head. I mean, this, this is what Michael does. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And I love the fact that Paul's like, man, I'm trying to do good, and I just keep screwing up. I just keep messing up. And I want to do right, but man, I give in. And I don't want to do wrong. And I, 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 I go back and forth all the time. And I hope you call verse 23. It's a war that Satan is waging. Where is it? It's in my mind. I mean, it, it, it's between the ears. It's my thoughts. And so if that's where the war is taking place, I mean, if, if, if that's the, 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 the war that we can't see, if, if it's taking place in the mind and it has everything to do with my thoughts, what are we feeding our minds, church? I mean, our mind is the battleground for spiritual warfare. I had a conversation just recently with somebody that was like, man, I just... I just don't think that God's doing anything in my life. And I'm like, well, tell me, tell me about your personal habits. Tell me about your prayer life. And you know, I mean, I, I, I thank God for the food. That, that's nice. You should. Tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about the last time you fell on your knees before the Lord and prayed. If somebody was sick. Tell, tell, me, tell me about your study habits. Tell me, tell me about what you're reading. I listen to your sermons. Our mind is the battleground for spiritual warfare. And some of you, church, we're only feeding, feeding your mind a, a sermon a week. The, the, the average Christian only comes to church twice a month now. Okay? Twice a month. And so, at, at, at best, for most people, 
you're getting a sermon twice a month. And maybe you're doing your soap, maybe you listen to stuff some other places, and maybe you do some other things, right? Uh, there's 43,000 plus minutes in a month. I did the research. Depending on how many days I was. 43 plus minutes in a month. And we are feeding our mind. God's Word. Maybe. Maybe 200 of those minutes per month. And, and here's the crazy thing. Our attention span right now is like, I mean, I lost y'all at the image of baby Lewis. I mean, it's, it's like that. that. That's what our attention span is these days. And so for most people, there's 43 plus thousand minutes in a month, and we're giving our minds 200 minutes per month. Again, this comes down to self self-control issue. Not the mastery of our flesh of desire self-control, but the, the wise head self-control where we're making good decisions daily. And we have traded in feeding our minds the word of God for things like the mass singer or you know what whatever it is that's on TV now. Alright? I mean that, that's what we've traded it for. I'm not anti-TV. Look, I watched a pitiful Auburn baseball game last night. All right? It was just terrible. Should have walked away and done something productive. I'm not anti-TV. I'm not even getting up on a soapbox right now. But here's the truth. Transformation of our lives happens when we are actively in the Word of God. And some of us are sitting here wondering why we keep falling into the same traps over and over and over again. I, I will tell you this, the major spiritual convictions in my life, sexual purity, how I handle my finances, and my health, and I know some of you are thinking, you got a long way to go. Yes, I do have a long way to go. Have all happened because of the power of the Word of God speaking directly to me. So the reason I give you the breakdown in the minutes is because there's not a minute that passes that Satan isn't trying to lead you astray. And we, we love camp. We love the, the, the mountaintop experiences, the, the glory moments where God reveals his glory. And we, we, we try to cut out as many of the, the screen time and the devices and all that stuff and get you out in nature Get you doing things with one another, and I mean, you just you're going through, and you're just getting a healthy dose of God's word, whether it's through counselors speaking, or through its quiet time, or corny crafts, or whatever. And, I mean, you know, we'll do all kinds of things at camp, and people go and they come back from camp, and and, and for most people, it's like, man, God is so good, yay God. And when we got kids that I don't want to leave, Stella was begging begging to go back to camp this week, right? She's like, well, I'm, you're going to be in Georgia. Well, can I go to camp in North Georgia then? I'm like, man, you better, you got to be, your grandparents love you, they need to see you, all right? Yeah, well, we go, we, we isolate ourselves from the world. It's amazing what God does. When we, we send our women to the women of joy, and they go there, they, they ride together, they laugh, they share, they talk about their, you know, amazing husbands and their awesome children, that kind of stuff. And 
sprinkle some God in the mix, and, and they come back, and I mean, there's, there's, there's this life change because, because we, we experience the glory of God on the mountaintop. But the truth of the matter is, most of the time in the Exodus, the mountaintop experiences are just sprinkled in along the journey. Most of the time, it's in the back. It's where God shows his love and his mercy. And that is where we have to have the control to say no to the distractions of the world and yes to the feeding of our minds. 1 John 2, 16 and 17 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the world that I pursue, they're going to all pass away. The question is, will I pass away? Given in more times than not to the flesh. You sit here hearing Paul's words in Galatians where he lists out the, the desires of the flesh, and you, you see that there's some things in there that, that relate to you. And then you, you hear Romans chapter 7 where he goes back and forth. He's like, Man, I, I want to do this, but I, I keep messing up, and I don't know why. Oh, I want to I want to give you three three things that I would tell you tell you to do to develop better self-control in your life. Now, this is not a master plan. It's not an ABC. You do these three three things and voila, we got sorcery and all that kind of stuff. It's just going to work. But I'm telling you, these three things are going to help you develop self-control in your life. All right? Romans 12. 1 and 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I'm almost done. I plead with you to give your bodies to God all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. I'm going to tell you right now. You know what he's saying right there? You need to surrender your lives. That's what he's saying. The kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. And you read that list back in Galatians and you're like, I'm good, I'm good. Hey, Paul right here says, uh, quit thinking that way. Right? Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. All right, we're going to work backwards. Verse 3, right here. The number one thing that you could do if you want to develop self-control is be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. What desires do you give into? I mean, look, I, I don't know if you, you have somebody, we'll get to the accountability in just a minute, but I don't know if you have somebody you can just share that with, or if you have somebody you trust enough just to speak into your life. All right? If you have no clue, Psalm 139 says that you're to 
Pray to God to reveal the things that, you know, he doesn't approve of in your life. But be honest with your assessment. What desires do you give into? And that's not looking at the list of your justification added to it. Okay? That, that's not, well, yeah, that's really not that bad. Be honest with what Scripture says. What desires do I, do I give into? Am I putting anything else on the throne? Am I putting my comfort on the throne? Am, am, am I putting my social status on the throne? Be honest with yourself. Which ones do I really like and don't even feel guilty about? I think that there's some of that stuff. It feels pretty good. I can become numb to it. I don't even feel guilty anymore. Be honest in your evaluation. How much time do I really spend feeding my mind the Word of God? And we got the soap going on. That's a good thing. John 18 this week. Peter denied Jesus. That's what y'all get to read. Jesus gets arrested, right? But how much time are you really consuming the Word of God? This is a look in the mirror moment. And it, what's really there? The, the second thing I would say in this, working backwards, verse 2, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Where's the battle waging? In your mind. Where does Paul say you can be transformed into a new person? By the way you Think. I, I do believe, I'm not the smartest person in the room, I know, but I do believe our mind and our thoughts, they kind of they kind of overlap there. They're related to one another. Where are we transformed? By changing the way you think. Well, of course you're justifying it and you're saying, well, it's not really that big a deal because you're thinking like a fleshly, earthly human that has only surrendered a little bit to Jesus. Let God transform you into the new person by changing the it's being active in the words that come from his mouth. By every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the third thing. Confess your sins. James 5, 16. says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I, I'm, I'm all about the special moments where we have a cross or something up here and we done this every camp has ever done before where you write down your sins and you go and you nail it on the cross. I'm, I'm, I'm all about this, the symbolism there and what's taking place. The Bible doesn't say write down your sins on a piece of paper and keep it to yourself and go to hell on the cross. The Bible says you need to confess your sins to one another. Meaning there needs to be somebody in my life that I can say and a man and I just had this big fight. See, I don't know a man and I had a big fight because we just we, we put on our smiley faces when we come to church and we pretend everything's okay. There needs to be somebody in my life that I can say, man, I struggled with, with what came on TV. I, I struggled with this or I struggled with that. Because here's what that does. It, it, it's one thing for me just to kind of, man, And I keep it to myself. It's one thing to admit it to me. 
It's powerful, though, when I start admitting it to other people. I now have people praying for me because that's the rest of James 5.16. Right? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And, I, and I'm grateful for Jeff Beckham and John Lancaster, these guys. The man I got going through life and the struggles of ministry and the struggles of family and the struggles of whatever else is going on that I can say what I need to say to them. And they don't judge me. Maybe a little bit, but, but it's, it's good judgment. And they pray for me. And then they follow up with me. How's it going? So we've got to have people in our lives. This isn't a journey that's meant to be lived alone. And yet, in our Western society, the way we think, man, i got to keep my dirty laundry over here and don't let anybody see it. i pretend everything's good. In reality, every single one of us, we struggle with self-control. We all need help. We all have sins that we need to be confessing. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. This is going to be part of our sermon series coming up in a few months. For this very reason, make every effort. If you have your Bibles, underline that. Make every effort. Church, are you making every effort? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. And it's the same exact self-control that, that Peter uses here. It's the same thing. Controlling the fleshly desires. Self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, don't miss this please, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That does not mean being able to win Bible Bowl championships. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. When he says unfruitful in the knowledge, that's living out what you know. The knowledge that you already possess. So if you're making every effort to add to your to, to add to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to be ineffective or unfruitful. What happens when we abide in him? God, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and how it steps on my toes. God, forgive me where, hey, I've, I've not practiced self-control too many times. I give in to the flesh. God, you tell us. I mean, Jesus said, come to me and learn from me because my way is easy. My yoke is light. Yeah, God, I, I keep pursuing the flesh. I keep pursuing my own thoughts and feelings about how I treat other people. So, Father, I, I pray for complete surrender in our lives. Work through. Have the, the Spirit produce in us self-control.